the more you study scripture, the more you realize how serious it is. Breaking down each chapter and studying it to find a deeper meaning really opens your eyes. The first six chapters of Daniel are historical. The last six are prophetic. prophetical. They're the ones with Daniel's visions and his visits by the angels. So first off, how did Daniel know that his visions were real? I remember several years ago, my doctor prescribed me a, a prescription without telling me what the side effects were going to be. And it was quite a surprise that first night when I actually started dreaming before I fell all the way asleep. And my dreams were so vivid, so bright, so colorful, so intense. It was like I was actually awake. And they were truly bizarre dreams. And when I awoke, I knew they weren't real. And seldom do I remember much about my dreams, even the most bizarre ones, beyond the first few waking moments. And I only remember bits and pieces. But... Even my dogs seem to have dreams that are real to them. Sometimes in their sleep, I'll see them running. And I wonder if they ever get to where they're trying to get to. But how did Daniel know that his visions weren't just ordinary dreams? How did he know that they were worthy of being in God's book? How did he remember them long enough to write them down in such detail? We can imagine that maybe they were so much more intense than anything he dreamed, anything even the most powerful hallucinogen could create. But more importantly, it would have been God who revealed to Daniel that those were true visions. God who enabled him to remember them when he woke. I've heard people say that the Bible couldn't be true, that the stories were all made up because nobody could remember all the stuff that happened and write it down in such detail. But we who believe give God much more credit than that. He created the world and everything in it. If we are smart enough to create computers that can remember everything about everybody in the world in such detail, then how much smarter is the God who created us? He knew what he wanted in his book, and he made sure that it got in there. So let's read verses 2 to 14. This is the NIV version. Daniel said, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle, and I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was the second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up 
and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another, another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the other former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human, a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words of the horn was speaking. Speaking, I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All the nations and peoples of every language worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So what did all this mean to Daniel? According to the next verse, he was troubled in spirit and the visions that passed through his mind disturbed him. Daniel, unlike us, didn't have the benefit of possessing the Bible in its entirety. So all of this was news to him. Although he was a holy and righteous man, I can't imagine how shocking it was to have this revealed to him. And because there is no mention that he took any action afterward, maybe his role in this part of the story was simply to write it down for us. So then, what does this chapter mean for us? Well, nothing. And everything. Nothing because it has no practical meaning for us now. This chapter is not like the book of Proverbs, chock full of wisdom on how to conduct our everyday life. It's not a primer on how to interpret dreams. But it means everything because the message that Daniel chapter 7 has for us today is to heed its warning. 
I sometimes hear people say that they don't want to read the Revelation because it's so scary. Well, everything about the Bible is scary if you know that you're a sinner like me. I once attempted to read through the Bible in a year. I made it through, but it took considerably longer than that. And by the time I'd gotten to Levit- through Leviticus, I was scared of offending such a powerful God. The book of Daniel is scary. But as with all of God's prophecies, the promise of hope for those who love him is there. In Daniel's vision in this chapter, after the thrones of the kingdom were cast down, the ancient of days, our heavenly father, sat upon his throne. And the son of man came with the clouds of heaven and was giving everlasting dominion along with his saints. That's us. But for those not yet in God's eternal family, this is a serious warning. There's still the possibility of salvation through Jesus Christ, but it won't always be so. Actually, it's a warning for us, too. God deals in absolutes, not in relative values. Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Not do you love me more than some of those other guys. God asks us, do we believe in his son? Not can we find a few people with less faith than us to compare ourselves to We can't choose to lean somewhat toward God. We can't say that we love Jesus on Sunday and then forget that he exists on Monday. So getting back to the vision, depending on who you ask, the four beasts were either monarchies that were opposed to the Jews or monarchies that ruled the world to a great degree. The first one, The first beast, the lion, was Babylonia or Chaldea, which was absorbed into Babylonia. The second beast, the bear, was Medo-Persia or just Persia. The third beast, the leopard, everyone seems to agree, was Greece. Now, the fourth beast was described as being different from all the others. There was no animal named. It was just called terrifying and frightening, and very powerful, or in the King James Version, dreadful, terrible, and strong exceedingly. Either way, I'm picturing wicked. Some say it was Rome. Some say it was Syria. Possibly a better argument could be made for it being Rome, as it was Rome who presided over the trial and crucifixion of Jesus. A good argument can also be made that this kingdom does not yet exist or has not yet come into the height of its power and will be mighty in the world's final days. This kingdom is the beast with the ten horns, which are the ten kings that shall arise. Then a small horn, which is the Antichrist spoken of in Revelation 13, arose before the ten and subdued three kings. 
Then it made war with the saints and prevailed against them. There is a lot we can discuss about this, but which kingdom is which really doesn't matter for the purpose of our brief discussion today. There are others who could steer you much better into an understanding of this, so I won't attempt to. What really matters is that all earthly kingdoms will fall. None of the kingdoms of those four beasts are around today. They fell or were weakened until they no longer existed. Every empire, every dynasty, country, state, human organization will fail eventually. Those that hang in there will fall hard when our Lord returns to rule the world his way. So in the end, the kingdom of heaven is the only one that we should be greatly concerned with. The truth is we humans are incapable of governing ourselves in a godly manner. Israel lost sight of this and possibly never realized it at all. And they wanted a king. But their kings did not bring them the everlasting peace and prosperity that they desired. In fact, it was a roller coaster ride, ending in captivity at a much lower level than where they started. Just as when we go to the polls to cast our votes with such high hopes uh, for the future, no matter who we vote for, to some measure, they will fail. Any candidate, any party, even someone not representing a political party. The reason is that we all have an agenda that is not God's. No matter how hard we try, Even some churches go away from God's agenda. You know, there's a faction in modern Christianity that is mainly there for the good time. Church to them is the greatest party or the greatest entertainment of the week. To some, Christianity is a means to material gain, to a life of luxury, to live one's best life now. But God guarantees us no matter how terrible your life is here in this world or how great life with our savior in the next world will be much, much better. God does want us to experience joy in this world, but our ultimate joy will come when we're with him in his kingdom. So we have to be prepared to give up luxury now if that's the hand we're dealt. If we're faithful, our best life will be the eternal one. That doesn't mean that we should look down on other Christians whose beliefs don't quite match our own. We should actually pray for them and love them anyway. Jesus commanded us to love one another and to get along with one another. He wants to bring us together as a family. If we want to, we could find plenty to be at odds about. Race, politics, economics, preference in sports drinks or teams. Even minutiae of Bible prophecies. 
And it's entirely possible that some of those other Christians that we look down upon might have some insight that we lack. And while we're at it, we need to check our own selves periodically. Unless we find ourselves or our church wandering away from the straight and narrow. That's one reason why Paul the Apostle tells us to pray without ceasing. It keeps our focus on God where it belongs. Without ceasing doesn't mean that our every thought awake or asleep is a prayer. It does mean, though, that we should never be too far from prayer. There there have been countless times when I realized too late that I should have prayed before taking action or making a decision. And no matter how much we pray, God will never say, you again? You come to me too much for help. It's more like, why don't you come more often? And even when prayer is involved, I struggle with sin here on earth. It's not too hard to find myself brewing, brewing in anger a couple of minutes after I've prayed. You know, I used to worry about somehow sinning in heaven and getting kicked out. I know it sounds silly, but after all, Jesus did promise us that if we are truly his, we are his forever. But how do we know we won't sin in heaven? Well, first of all, the Lord won't bring any soul to heaven who is rebellious or disobedient. The master knows his sheep and we know him. All the rebellious souls have already been banished from heaven forever. Not even the remaining angels sin. They know the penalty that Satan and his minions will have in the end. Even without that knowledge, they're happy right where they are, and no sin is worth getting kicked out of heaven over. I can't imagine an angel coming here on assignment and going back to heaven and saying, God, well, you know, this heaven place is pretty nice, but would you mind if I went back and lived in New Jersey? Secondly, we will have new glorified bodies and will be free of the sin nature of this old flesh. And lastly, there'll be no opportunity for sin in the new heaven. There'll be nothing there to tempt us. There will be nothing that we lack to lust after. Jesus himself knows what temptation feels like, but he doesn't know personally how it feels to give into it nor what it's like to battle back from sinful habit. If he did, he couldn't save us. Our struggle with sin and temptation is only here and now in this life. The things that cause us pain and sadness are only here and now. Jesus is here for us whenever we need to call on him. There's an old joke about a guy who tries to swim across the ocean, but gets tired halfway through and swims back. If he'd only hung in there, he would have made it. And if we hang in there, even through darkness and rough waters, even when we can't see the shore, we'll get there. 
that's the maybe not so obvious message of Daniel 7. Kingdoms come and go, but the kingdom being prepared for us will never end. So let's keep our eyes and hearts on that kingdom. Abba, Father, we are in awe of your greatness, of the love and kindness that you show us every day. We praise your holy name, and we look forward to our eternal home with our Savior. Father, bless Terrell Road Bible Chapel, our congregation, and our families, especially concerning our spiritual health. Have mercy on those in need, those who are suffering in any way in our church, our community at large, our nation, and your world, as much as you are willing. Give peace of mind and comfort to those who are stressed, worried, or in sorrow. Help us, your children, to spread the good news, the gospel, so that as many people as possible might believe in our Messiah and be saved through your mercy. Help us to do our best every day to glorify your name and the name of Jesus Christ. Fill our lives with the presence of your Holy Spirit so that we remain strong in our repentance and faithful to the message you've given us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.